This is the first Sunday in Lent. We always say in Lent, in Lent, and not of Lent. So you'll notice that it's of Advent and in Lent. So that's the, that's the deal. Sundays are exempt from the season of Lent. That's why it's in Lent, right? Not Lent or of Lent. Never mind, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what I'm going to do is say a number of things I said in my Ash Wednesday sermon because this is the beginning, the Sunday uh, beginning the season of Lent and the themes are the same and they will, will recur uh, through the next 40 days. So the major themes that, we'll, that I'm going to talk about are repentance, reconciliation, and the importance of godly motives. And then I want to say something about Mark's gospel and Jesus' baptism according to Mark and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness after his baptism and what the significance of all of that is. Repentance is something that you see here in the gospel today. Uh, it said, repent and believe in the good news. So in the original language, when Mark wrote it, it meant turn your life around and change the direction you're looking for happiness. And there are two words that appear in the New Testament. One is metanoiete, or metanoiete, and epistrophe. And today, it's the first one, the internal states that we all go through in terms of coming to understand God's will and purpose for us and the resolve that emerges from that, that reflection uh, and the desire to change in a godly direction. What we're talking about here is that the, the word conversion does not mean, a, in my view and in many, a once and for all thing. We need to keep reconverting ourselves. That's why a liturgical church repeats the same stuff over and over again. You have to be reminded of the, the importance and the centrality of these themes. So we have kept Lent over the last many centuries uh, because after the Constantinian settlement in 314 AD, Christianity became the only legal religion in the Roman Empire. And the liturgy had moved from being celebrated in the Greek language, like it still is in the Eastern Church, to being celebrated in Latin. And so the Roman Church had now a new translation of the Bible in Latin, not Greek. So when you read this passage in Mark's Gospel and you read the other locations where we hear repent, it doesn't say anymore metanoete, it says penitentiam agite, do penance. So the season of Lent switches its emphasis from being one of preparation for baptism, because Easter was the only time you got baptized in the Constantinian church, to a, from a period of preparation to now where we're all navel-gazing and reflecting on our sins in one form or another when we think about what it is we're supposed to be doing in this season of self-examination. So repentance has something to do with changing the direction you're looking for happiness, but it also has to do with reflecting on the baptismal covenant 
why baptism is so central to Christian people and what it says. I tell you this over and over again. Last Wednesday, I came into the church after the 10 o'clock liturgy and I sat in that pew and took a prayer book out and read the baptismal covenant in the Book of Common Prayer. And I asked myself, how have I been doing over the past year in being faithful to this covenant? And so what resolve, what interior resolve could I engage in in order to understand how I might uh, change direction if it's necessary? You know, how how to do that? And not so much on, you know, austere penances, but a serious searching reflection about the importance of those things. Reconciliation came from the epistle for Ash Wednesday, 2 Corinthians. It's one of my favorites. It opens by saying, We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And if you're an ambassador for Christ, one of the things you have to do is be faithful to the mission of the church. Page 855 in the Book of Common Prayer. What is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. That's the mission. And so it's a question that you can ask yourself, what does it mean to be in some ways a reconciler, to seek peace, to understand the power of forgiveness. I was watching a YouTube video a while back on forgiveness, and it was an interview with Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And the interviewer said to him, "Uh, Bishop Tutu, what is forgiveness? And he said, forgiveness is the relinquishing of your right to seek revenge on somebody has wronged you, who's wronged you. And so the question then came, not just for the person who had been victimized or abused, uh, relinquishing their right to revenge, but he said, what should the person who is being forgiven do? And he said, confess. Confess. And that process has been very successful in South Africa. They could have had an absolute, you know, abattoir in that country. So we need to think about the importance and power of reconciliation as one of the things we do as Christian men and women. That is very central to the way we understand that. The third theme, of course, is the Uh, importance of godly motives, and it requires at least some uh, idea of the nature of self-control. Edwin Friedman, who's famous, said one time in a lecture I heard him give, you know, you need to understand that part of the process of uh, reflecting on your behavior and everything is you need to moderate your instinctual drives. You need to learn how to do that. So the things that are, that are natural to us, we also need to have custody over. And we have to have godly motives. So I remember years ago, I was at a clergy conference when the presenter talked about corrupt motives. And I'd never heard, it, heard that used for some reason. 
people have corrupt motives. It means that they're uh, self-seeking. It means that they're trying to get something out of something. They're doing all of this kind of thing rather than being uh, somebody who is uh, open and honest in relationship. So godly motives are the opposite of corrupt motives, and that's very important as well. So let me say a word about uh, temptation. First, I want to say in the gospel today, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the river. And when he comes up out of the water, there is a voice from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. Now, in Mark's gospel, the voice was heard only by Jesus. In Matthew and Luke, the voice is heard by everybody. And so Jesus, at that moment in his baptism, which is a type for our own baptism, had a vocational moment. And he now knew what he was supposed to do in depth. And the first thing he did was to go into the desert and to reflect on what his what his uh, mission was, what he intended to do. Father Thomas Keating says, Jesus redeemed us from the consequences of our emotional programs for happiness by experiencing them himself. He appears in the desert as a representative of the human race. So Jesus has been everywhere we've been. He's a human being, and he went through uh, this process of getting clear about what this is. You know, conversion has something to do, uh, the people, the great people we've read about being converted or writing about their conversion, let's say St. Augustine in the Confessions. He talks about this process that he went through. The first thing is he had, he was, felt a sense of disturbance emotional, uh, mental, and spiritual. He was knocked off his pins. And this experience uh, led him to do a serious reflection about his own life, his personal history. And while he was doing this reflection, he had a deep sense of an enabling other, God, who was helping him in this process And finally, he realized that this presence would remain with him continuously. And so it starts now his conversion to Christianity. And I think most people who've had experiences like that, they may not necessarily be religious, but if you've had a vocational moment or something where it all of a sudden became clear to you exactly who you are and what you wanted to do, then you'll see that converting work always present. So when we talk now about Jesus in the desert, uh, he, he experienced everything that we experienced. And he went through the three areas that I talk about all the time, that Father Thomas Keating says in Open Heart, Open Mind, the contemplative dimension of the gospel. Security and survival... 
affection and esteem, and power and control. And these are the three areas every human being on a daily basis has to negotiate, has to uh, balance the reality that these are necessary for human flourishing, but that you have to take care that they don't get off the rails. Too much one way or the other. There's no balance. And so part of the Lenten discipline has something to do with keeping those things in balance as you live your life on a daily basis. I kid, you know, a lot about uh, this isn't the time to practice hair-raising austerities, and yet sometimes some intention during the Lenten season uh, is an important thing to do, you know. Not like, I'm not going to eat any seized candy for Lent, which, you know, a lot of people do. Clint Fowler, the rector of St. Michael's Church in Tucson, used to say, Lent is not a time for giving up bad habits. Any time is the time for giving up bad habits, right? So that's the, that's the thing. There's a famous writer on the spiritual life in the early part of the 20th century named Evelyn Underhill. I mentioned this on, on Ash Wednesday. When I was in seminary, a lot of uh, scholars and writers on the spiritual life sort of viewed her as the Agatha Christie of spirituality. Fortunately, her reputation has been redeemed. And in, one of, in some of her writings, she, this one is, uh, she's writing to a friend, it's a letter published, uh, to a friend about keeping Lent. And she said, as to your Lent, no physical hardships beyond what normal life provides, but take each of these as serenely and gratefully as you can and make of them your humble offering to God. Don't reduce sleep. Don't get up in the cold. Practice more diligently the art of turning to God with some glance or phrase of love or trust at all spare moments of the day. Be specially kind and patient with those who irritate you. Instead of wasting energy and being disgusted with yourself, accept your own failures and just say to God, well, in spite of all I may say or fancy, this is what I am really like, so please help my weakness. This is not self-disgust. It is the real and fruitful humility. On mortification. This is where we're going to talk now, you know, on your knees with an armload of gladiolas going across the plaza to get into the church, right? She says, by preference, the mortification of the tongue is the most important. Careful guard on all amusing criticism of others, on all complaints, however casual or trivial, deliberately refraining sometimes, not always, from saying the entertaining thing. This does not mean you are to be dull or correct, but to ration this side of your life. I doubt whether things like sitting on the least comfortable chair affect you enough to be worth bothering about. But I am sure custody of the tongue on the lines suggested could give you quite a bit of trouble 
and be a salutary bit of discipline, a sort of verbal hair shirt. The important thing is doing something beyond perhaps what you normally do. So as we move through uh, the Lenten season, uh, think about how you're going to seek this balance. And working, uh, the purposes of working on our emotional programs for happiness uh, is, a, is a time when you can make some progress in those areas. You get that security and survival, affection and esteem, power and control, and see how that helps you. Helps you in relationship. Helps you to be a reconciler. Helps you to change the direction you need to uh, to have a healthier spiritual life. And this prepares us. The church has always said, what this does is prepare us for the infusion of divine love at Easter. And for that matter, throughout the year. Amen.